Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, an unscripted conversation with Ben and Spencer. We're so glad that you could join us today, whether that's from your car, office, home, church, or wherever you're at. If you want to contact us, you can email us at loveincontext at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram at loveincontext. Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, an unscripted conversation where Ben and Spencer talk in a manner that is not scripted. Uh, there's going to be, there's only a finite number of ways you can say that. I'm going to, it's going to get to the point where it's like 45 seconds long. Yeah. So if you're going to, you're going to go into like the whole thing with AI, random generation, uh-huh. just be like, AI, how do I say this differently? Uh-huh. Yeah. So today we wanted to take a second to talk about Exodus because it comes up throughout the Bible and they keep referencing back to this point. And so it's really important that we understand like major themes of what's happening in Exodus because it is a reoccurring conversation throughout the Bible. And if we don't get a handle on it, then we're going to miss a lot of what they're talking about later. Yeah. Yeah. So just a reminder, we're going to just talk about God's redemptive work through the Exodus and specifically how he partners with humanity in Israel to put his story on display. Yeah. So all the way back at the beginning of Exodus, we have the story of the midwives, and then God hears the distress of his people. I think it's really important that we always remember that God is the God who hears. That's super important. Yeah. Paul's going to say it while we were still sinners. In the story of the flood, God remembers Noah. In the story of Abraham on the mountain, God provides a sacrifice. He also walks the blood path twice. Like God is the one who initiates the conversation between humanity and him. Yeah. God's the one who he's going to hear you even in the times where it feels like he's silent. And I think that's echoed in Exodus as well, because you have the midwives backing up to that, where they still had reverence and fear and awe of the Lord, even though they hadn't heard from him in a long time. At the end of that chapter, it's in God heard the cries of his people. So God's going to hear you even if it feels like he's distant. And he's going to respond in a way that is most likely going to blow your mind. And specifically, he typically will partner with humanity, which is the next thing we see, God raising up a generation through Moses that is actually capable of leading an exodus. Yeah. Because Moses is a very unique kind of person because he is both Hebrew and raised in Pharaoh's court. Yep. He knows both the Hebraic roots and the Egyptian roots. He's well-educated and has a lot of influence all throughout the region. Yeah. It's very intentional who God is actually raising up, which I think is always important for us to remember that when God calls us to something, it's not an accident. There's a reason why you're called to it. In fact, we were actually talking about this on Sunday that sometimes we are like, oh, we need to bring the pastor in to talk to our friend about Jesus. They, they don't know your friend. God raised you up, put you in that situation in order to speak into their life. Like I think pastors are there for support and help and prayer and all those different things, but they're meant to equip yeah. the body. Yeah, they're meant to equip the saints and send them out. And one of the things that always drives me nuts is when people are like, well, let's bring you to church so you can hear about Jesus. It's you are the church. Yeah. So you should be telling them about Jesus. Hey, spoiler alert. That's looking ahead in the Bible. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and so we chuckle about it right now. And there are people who do that really well. Let's be right. clear on that. But we're chuckling about that right now because God's put you in their life to be Christ to them. And so then as God continues to work with Moses, we've talked about in our episodes that God actually comes and engages Moses. He says, hey, I want to bring deliverance. So I'm going to tell you who I am. Yeah. I'm going to give you my power and my authority. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you do signs and wonders in my name. 
And Moses says, I still can't do it. And so he sends Aaron with him, even though he's seriously, dude, I'm giving you everything. But he's still sending Aaron with him and meeting him in his, I'm going to call it disbelief or failure to believe. Moses was afraid and scared. And I think we skip over that. But the burning bush, he gives five excuses. These five excuses are excuses we most likely have all given in our Mm -hmm. lives. The last one being like, I just don't want to. Which is always the most accurate. But he's used, I'm not good with words. Who am I going to say sent me? Like all these things. Like he uses all these excuses because he's afraid, he's scared. There's change that's coming. He's being called to leave this life that's been comfortable to him. He's been married, has kids at this point. He's been called to leave that life and do something miraculous with God. And God's not just calling him to just go in and take the Israelites out. He's actually calling him to go because God is actually going to pursue Pharaoh in Egypt. The whole thing about the 10 plagues is he's going to judge the gods of Egypt. Yeah. And he is approaching Pharaoh and being like, Pharaoh, will you follow me? Because it's always been about all nations and it always will be about all nations. And so if you think it's about just your nation, stop that. It's about all nations. Mm-hmm. It's not just about us. It's about we. Yeah. I am not the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are. Yeah. And if I start kicking people out because I don't like the way that they look, I'm suddenly missing a wall or a roof. And I, I'm not a construction person, but I feel like houses don't work that when they don't have those. Especially walls. If you don't have walls, like yeah. you don't have a house. Let's just be real. I was thinking about this here. It's something that I just realized when I was actually looking over our notes as we're going to have a conversation here. Did you notice that there are 10 plagues on Egypt and there's also 10 words of God? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's almost like he's canceling out the and being like, this is the new. Not that he would ever do that. That's never something that happens throughout the Bible. I hope you all can understand sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> because that's going to be very helpful for you uh, in this did, conversation. Didn't you say your sister has trouble understanding sarcasm? So she, this might just like... Yeah. She gets it. Like it takes her a moment, but she gets it. Yeah. So Ben's not trying to guess my sister's name anymore. It was a fun game for a little bit. But then one day my sister video called us I handed the phone to Ben and I was like, hey, this is my friend Ben. You can't tell him your name though. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. And then my daughter comes up and is, hey, aunt, says her name. And I was like, that game's done. That game's done now. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's how that game ended. <laughs> so God is having this conversation. He's he's challenging everything that Egypt trusts in, right? What All the things that Pharaoh trusts in. And he's saying, will you trust me instead? Now, ultimately, Pharaoh says no. Mm-hmm. And I believe that God respects that. And so he takes his people and they go. Yeah. God's not going to force you to follow him. No, he's not. He will invite you to the table, though. Yeah. And so God leads them out to the Red Sea. He leads them to a spot where they feel trapped, where they feel helpless, where they feel like there's nothing they can do. And there is nothing they can do. Yeah. It is. They are trapped, but there is still a pillar of fire between them and pillar of cloud between them and Egypt. So yeah, they're trapped, but. Yeah. Yeah. They're trapped. Like, they're trapped, and there's nothing that they're doing that's holding that army back. Correct. Like, God's holding that army back. He splits the Red Sea, and he sends the people through the Red Sea on the, to the other side. And so God leads them to a point where he's like, hey, watch me work again. So he doesn't just lead them through the Red Sea. They get on the other side, and they worship in the desert, which we talked about with Pastor Nick, mm-hmm. about why it's really important that when God moves— our natural response is worship. Yeah. But he doesn't just lead them through. He feeds them from manna from heaven. They get water from a rock. They get more meat than they can know what to do with because they were Mm -hmm. whining about not having meat. And then bigger thing than all of that, God then calls identity into them. He says, you will for me be a kingdom of priests, which is a really big deal, especially when we talk about next week when we're going to be getting into Leviticus. 
Yeah. What does it actually mean to be a nation of priests for God most high? And understand that from the culture they're coming from. They're coming from a culture where being a priest was borderline royalty. Correct. So when God is saying, hey, I'm going to make you a nation of priests, what they're thinking of, they're not thinking of, oh, it's going to be a nation of pastors. They're thinking nation of royalty. Yeah. A nation of well-off, we're getting into well-off people who are going to have so much in their lives. Yeah. It's a position that you jockey for. Yeah. That you, it's like political maneuvering to get this position. Yeah. Which does eventually happen in that context. I think about the silent years between the remnant returning and Jesus coming. There is this whole thing about the Maccabean rebellion during which we celebrate Hanukkah over and the zealots take back the land and then they turn it over to the priesthood because they're not the ones who are supposed to be in charge of the temple. And then immediately they corrupt the temple with this heavily monetized perspective. We've called them the Jewish mafia because that's what we like to call them. Yeah. Where it's like this whole like racket that they're running under the guise of religious fellowship. Yeah. And so God here in Exodus, he's saying, hey, I'm going to give you this royalty that you jockey for, that you maneuver your way into. And he's going to speak new context into what they understand, which is really important for us to understand in the Old Testament. One of the really interesting things here is just piggybacking off what Ben says. They're going to speak new context. How many times has God in your lives taken something that you know you understand and he speaks new context and new life into that? Almost everything that's been like significant. He does that with the disciples when he calls them, when he sees them fishing, he's like, hey, come with me and you'll become fishers of men. And beyond that, how many parables does Jesus tell? He talks to them about something that they see. Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, you know how a sower goes and sows seed in a field? Uh Uh-huh. Like, that's breathing new context into a context that they understand. Yeah. Yeah. So he does that so many times. God's speaking in a context that the Israelites would understand. He's meeting them in a language that they'd understand and be like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And it's going to look like this, which is different than. Correct. And so like we said is he says that they're going to be a nation of priests. Now there's going to be a Levitical priesthood, but they are actually a nation of priests. Yeah. And we're going to get into a lot more of that when we get into Leviticus. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse. Yeah. But just have that in the back of your head that God says you're going to be a whole nation of priests. And then he goes further than that and he does what no other God before them has done. And he says, I'm going to explain to you exactly who I am and exactly how I'm going to interact with you and how I expect you guys to interact with each other. Yeah. And that's in the 10 words. Yeah. And we talked about the 10 words a few weeks ago, but the 10 words really is a covenant God is making with his people. He's simplifying down all these rules, regulations into 10 simple things right now. And everything spurs from that. But in a lot of times what we do is we jump to, hey, there's no other God before me. And God's saying he actually has more to say before that. Right. Yeah. He actually, he comes out and he's like, hey, I am the one who led you out of Egypt. Right. I'm the one who's brought you here. I am the one who's freed you from captivity. And that refrain is also what comes up very frequently in the rest of scripture. Yeah. When you look at it through the rest of Torah, when you look at it, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Numbers, God frequently come back. He says, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt is where you were. And I'm the Lord of God who brought you out of it. A lot of these things going on and on. And then as they're, you look at Joshua and you look at Kings, you look at Samuel, you look, you look at the prophets 
they're going, he's going to say this every time he comes to them, when it's judgment, when it's discipline, when it's correction, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's mm-hmm. almost always paired with that. And I'm the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's reminding them of their story, which I think is really important for us to remember because how often do we actually not know the story of our heritage? Yeah. And in the 10 words, like the second half of the 10 words, you hear things like, hey, don't steal, don't murder, don't covet, all those things. And you're like, oh, okay. You're like, that's not hard to do. In the context of which the Israelites were coming from, there was actually context around them that had to do with child sacrifice. There was context around them that had to do with taking what you want. Might makes right. Yep. Yep. There was context around them about stealing so you could, like, around coveting. And let's not even, we're going to touch on this briefly, but we're going to talk more in Leviticus. Yeah. Sexual things yeah. in that culture. Yeah. So the con, like when you're reading Exodus, take some time to understand that culture that mm-hmm. they were in. And it actually brings to light a ton of revelations of why God actually said things like, hey, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. It brings to light why he's saying those things because they might sound simple from our westernized view, but understanding it in the context of child sacrifice, taking what you want, so on and so forth, can really bring to light why God's having to say those things. So in the wake of God revealing to them who he is, we get the golden calf incident where they can't wait 40 days for Moses to come back down the mountain, which to be fair, is very reminiscent of most of our lives. We can't wait 40 days for God to move. We can't wait two days for free shipping from companies. Shmamazon rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> So they struggle. They're waiting for, they can't wait for God. And so they're like, oh, we'll just make gods who brought us out of the land of Egypt, which is ridiculous in and of its own right. Because like you made the idol, it clearly didn't bring you out. But at the same time, it's totally understandable and relatable in the sense that they're turning to what they know. Like the worship of idols, of golden calves, of anything of that nature was what they would have known in Egypt. And so to be like, okay, our patience has run out. Let's return to what we know. The astounding thing about what God does here, though, is he actually forgives them of their sin. He reissues his instructions for the temple. He reissues yeah. his covenant with them again. And then he leads them by the cloud and yeah. into repentance and restoration of the relationship to where at the beginning of this situation, he says, my presence isn't going to go with you till at yeah. the very end. He says, my presence is going to lead you. Yeah. That he actually walks Israel through a process of repentance mm-hmm. because God is gentle and he's really looking for his kids to actually come and follow him. Yeah. Yeah. So we touched on it, but the Exodus is going to be referenced all over the Bible. And it's also going to be talked about a lot in the New Testament. There's going to be there's going to be references when you come into the New Testament. Jesus is speaking into a context. The assumption that when Jesus is talking to the Jewish people is that they know their Torah. And so frequently, Jesus is going to quote from Deuteronomy, he's going to quote from Exodus, he's going to quote from Genesis, he's going to quote from all over the Torah in order to breathe into them, now as Torah made flesh, what God actually wanted for them. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount, very frequently he's going to make a statement, he says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And I've heard a lot of teachers, and I understand where they're getting this from, but contextually say, Jesus is just raising the ante. But that's not what's happening in rabbinic conversation. In rabbinic conversation, if a rabbi says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, 
what he's saying is you've been taught this, but it was always this. Do not commit adultery was always supposed to lead you to be the kind of person who didn't look lustfully at another. Do not murder was always supposed to lead you to be the kind of person who didn't have anger. Like this is the goal of the law was to create you into a ethical, moral, functioning person that puts the story of God on display. Yeah. To put it in really practical terms, have you ever had a moment where you're doing something one way and someone comes along and is like, hey, if you do it this way, and then you do it their way, and you're like, oh, that's how it's supposed to be done. That's literally every time I do a like a construction thing, or like I'm doing something with my car, and you're like, oh, it's not supposed to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, really? Uh-huh. So for those of you who don't know, Ben's not a car guy. We have established this multiple times uh-huh. on the podcast. I am sure they are aware I am not a car guy. Right. <laughs> yeah, just to reiterate, Ben's not a car guy, and so- Usually when Ben has a car question and he calls me, he's like, it's making a noise. And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm talking to my wife right now. <laughs> it's making a noise. Okay. Yeah. Car no go vroom. <laughs> Something wrong. But let's just run off the car analogy here. But I remember when I was first learning how to change the oil in my car, like all I had was a crescent wrench and I, it worked like you could make it work. And then someone's like, Hey, why don't you use this socket? And then I use a socket and I was like, Oh my word, this is so much better. Then I was like, okay, that's going to lead me into making sure I get the right stuff for the right jobs. And so when we're doing, when we're talking about scripture, it can be really easy to understand it. And from the lens that we've heard it. And then when we've actually examined it and see what's actually being told, we can realize, oh, maybe we didn't quite have it. It's been interesting. Even our last time that we've been going through Torah and Mm -hmm. I've read these stories multiple times. Every time I come back to the stories of Genesis and Exodus, I see something I didn't see before, which I'm like, oh, that's an interesting piece that connects over to here and all these different uh, things. You're not going to get all the context in one go. No. And so there's a reason why we tell ourselves these stories and we retell them and retell them. Yeah. One of the things I actually really enjoy at the Passover is if you ever have a chance to go to a messianic Seder meal, a huge part of that story is just retelling from creation to liberation through Christ. And I was doing a Seder dinner and they asked me to host it. And so I was following the script because I am not savvy enough to know how this actually needs to go. But I do like to talk, which is super shocking to all of you. But as I was telling the story and walking through it, you could actually feel the spirit of God moving in the room just by retelling the story. Yeah. And then I had this thought and I was like, why don't we retell the story? Yeah. That's not a regular part of like, and correct me, like maybe you can tell me a different experience that you've had. That's not a regular part of church attendance. No. And that's not to say other people don't do it. It's just, in my experience, it's not part of something that we put as part of our regular occurrence that we retell the story. No. And culturally in America, like we very much operate off of, hey, you just need to learn this so you can get through this class and then be done with it. Then you don't need to know it again. And so we can do that with scripture too in our teaching and be like, hey, we're going to run through this and then we're going to move on. And that's actually not helpful when it comes to understanding biblical literature. When I was in college, I studied music education and we had this conversation piece that the teacher, his name was Dan Buckvich. So if you you guys ever have a chance to listen to any of his music, he's a prolific composer, has some really fun pieces. But you go into the freshman theory class and he says, you all are in four quadrants today. Most of you are in two quadrants, but some of you will be in the fourth quadrant. And he puts a big plus sign on the, and he says, in quadrant one, one, 
you are unconscious of how incompetent you are. And I was like, this is going to be good. And then he said, my goal between in this semester is to move you from unconscious to conscious of your incompetence. You know how little you know. Yep. He's eventually, you're going to become conscious of your competence. That's quadrant three. But the goal of every musician is to get to quadrant four, where you suddenly become unconscious of your competence. I've taken that with me for a very long time because I believe that spiritual learning is very similar. Yeah. Frequently, when we come to the Bible the first time, we are completely unconscious of how incompetent we are in understanding the context of the Bible. Over the last 10 years, I would say that I've become very conscious of my incompetence. I am very aware of what I know well and what I don't. My hope in the rest of my life is to become competent. Yeah. And then eventually not have to think about it, but it becomes so ingrained in my life that it just flows out of me. Yeah. And there are pieces, you've known me for a while, like sometimes like I start talking, you already know what I'm going to say before I finish uh-huh. the sentence. Uh-huh. We've co-preached and we've had that happen where yeah. you're like, and I'm like, I know exactly what rabbit trail he's going down right now. And that's because it just become, it's become such a fixed part of my life, right? Now, the hard thing becomes when you have built a context and a fixed point in your life that is built contextually incorrect. Yeah. That's where we talk about pruning off bad theology. Yeah. Some people are really uncomfortable with that. And I said, the thing is, I want to go back to what is the Bible and what does God call us to do? And I don't necessarily want to put on orthodoxy of traditionalism in place of what the Bible teaches. Yeah. I actually sent Ben a reel the other day that said traditions, just pure pressure from dead people. (laughs) Yeah. And I laughed almost exactly like that when I got it. Uh Uh-huh. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) So I want to talk really quickly because I think we just as a church, our church, finished a survey of the book of John, the gospel of John. And so when we were talking about that, we were talking about the structure of the gospel of John. Can you unpack that a little bit? So John's kind of broken up into two sections. You have the book of signs, which is the first half. Okay. And then you have the book of glory, which is the second half. And it splits right around 11, chapter 11, chapter 12. Yeah. Right where that split happens. And so you go from chapter 1 through 12 covers three years of Jesus's life. Like it's, it's, and if you sat down and read chapter 1 through 12, it would take you 25 minutes, 25, 30 minutes. And then chapter 13 through 21 covers about a week. Yeah. So you have this shift in writing, a shift of style where you're going from stories of signs, wonders, teachings, all this stuff, to where Jesus gives a four-chapter sermon from John 13 to 17, to just a week of life to where he's declaring who he is. He's at the height of his power, the height of his authority in that moment in time. And so that's why we split these up in those two different ways. You have Jesus showing who he is, and then Jesus telling who he is. Yeah. And so what we have, we call those, and what a lot of scholars have called that is there's the book of signs, and then there's the book of glory. Because there's this whole thing about, I'm going to be glorified to glorify the Father, and his glory is going to pour out. And there's a lot of glorification happening, and there's a lot of talking about the crucifixion. Um, so it's interesting here, because the Gospel of John actually mirrors the book of Exodus in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So like early on in Exodus, think about this, God pours out signs and wonders mm-hmm. in the 10 plagues, in the crossing of the Red Sea, manna yep. from heaven, which by the way, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am the manna that came down from heaven. Yep. There's a lot of direct quotes from the book of Exodus in that section. And then in the back half, we're t- there's this conversation about who God is and the glory of God rests on this mountain. It passes in front of Moses. Yeah. 
they really talk about the creation of the tabernacle or this place and they're being given the law. And you compare that with what's going on in the book of John. Now we're actually seeing the completion of everything that had come before in the person of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection and the restoration of all mankind, which is very similar to what is happening in the book of Exodus. Yeah. And uh, it's very intentional by John. And I was actually pointing this out. This is just one piece we're going to pull for you. We're actually going to pull two, two different pieces. One from John 3, because it's one of the most familiar stories in the Gospels. But first, I want to talk about at the end of the book of John, Mary comes and she dips her head in and she sees that Jesus isn't there, right? That's probably not how it says, but she dips her head in to look to see if Jesus isn't there. And there are two angels, which are not really the focal point of the story, except that there is a table with an angel in the front and an angel on the back, and Jesus is closed in the middle, he's not there. Now, in the book of Exodus, they create this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know what they place inside of the Ark of the Covenant? Stone tablets. Stone tablets representing Torah. They put manna from the desert, yep. and they take the, eventually, it's going to come up in numbers, and we'll talk about it then, the staff that buds that shows that Moses and Aaron have the authority that God placed on them. And it says that Moses goes into the tabernacle and he speaks to God between the two cherubims. I'm sorry, what we're set, setting on the other side of where Jesus was resurrected? Two angels. Oh, that, that can't, that's probably a coincidence, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like Jesus said that he was the word made flesh or that he was the manna that came from heaven mm -hmm. or that he is the, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. John is not doing these things by accident. He is drawing imagery they're very familiar with. Yeah to tell them what Jesus is doing because now instead of it being an exodus from Egypt, now it's an exodus from sin mm -hmm. and from death. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so seeing those parallels between John and Exodus are very important when you're studying this. And some of you are listening to this and you're like, I have never heard that talked about. That's not surprising to me. It doesn't surprise me one bit, but there are huge parallels there. Not even just what Ben was talking about, but just the structure so understanding the structure of Exodus and the structure of John is important because they are structured very similar. You have signs and wonders at the beginning of Exodus, you have signs and wonders at the beginning of John, and then you go into glorification on both books on the second half. Yeah, and it becomes incredibly important because John's expectation is that you understand the pictures that are being written, drawn. Yeah. yeah. One of the other stories that I like to talk about, in fact, I was talking about last week while I was when I was preaching with Pastor Nick. And I talk about John 3, one of the most familiar verses that anybody knows because it's usually the first one that they memorize. Countless people have come to Christ through this verse, okay? So it's probably the most well-known verse in the world. And that's John 3, 16. It's, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, okay? I had the conversation. I said, now, when Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus and John is writing this book, we have the benefit of knowing what happens in the future. You and I, we have the benefit of knowing what happens in the future. When Jesus is having this whole conversation, then the whole conversation prior to that with Nicodemus, what does Nicodemus think Jesus is talking about? Because he still doesn't understand after that conversation that Jesus is the son of God. Once again, go and read that story and look for the themes of Exodus. It's going to be talking about passing through blood and water. It's going to be talking about the light and dark. It's going to be talking about all sorts of things that are going on. In fact, it's going to talk about the wind moving. You don't yep. see where it is. You just have to follow it. You see the effects. Like All these different things are connecting back to the Exodus. Now, I want to explain to you that in the Old Testament and in Judaism, there is actually a son of God. Yeah. 
It's Israel. Israel is God's firstborn. And guess where it actually comes up? In the Exodus, Moses is instructed to say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Okay, so having that context, now let's go to this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. So now Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world, all of the world, all nations, that he gave his one and only son. Now in Nicodemus's mind, who is he thinking? Israel. Israel. That who would ever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, right standing with God, because it's always been about all nations. Yeah. Now let's continue on into 17. God didn't send Israel into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Yeah. It's really important that we understand that Jesus is a Jewish Messiah because Jesus steps into the role of Israel in the world and does what Israel was always supposed to do. As the representative of Israel, he steps in and redeems all of mankind. Now, it, on a very real level, Israel wouldn't have been able to do it. That's why Jesus eventually comes down. But he actually comes down as a representative of a story that God has been telling for a very long time. The story of Jesus isn't a new story. It's the old story made new. Yeah. And now we know that verse is talking about Jesus. Correct. We know that, right? Nicodemus won it. Yeah. Jesus hadn't revealed himself to Nicodemus. Yeah. And please don't mishear me. I'm 100% saying that story is about Jesus. Yes. That entire story is about Jesus. But Jesus is speaking into, speaking of what we were talking he's about earlier. into a context. He's speaking into a context that Nicodemus, oh. and he's calling him to be like Israel is supposed to yeah. be. He's speaking a language Nicodemus would understand. At he the same time, forth telling uh -huh. what he's going to do. Yeah. It's like Jesus was a brilliant communicator. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying that. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. <sighs> Understanding the context of Exodus is going to be really important because you're mm -hmm. going to start picking some of these things up. Yeah. Luke does it a lot too. Matthew, Mark, they also do this. They allude back to the Exodus and yeah. Torah. Specifically, like Deuteronomy, we're actually going to go into some of those pieces where the devil has a conversation with Jesus. Yeah. We're going to talk through that because he specifically quotes from Deuteronomy multiple times in order to have a conversation with the devil in the desert. Yeah. If Jesus Christ thinks that knowing the word of God is important, the guy who literally is the word made flat, it might be worth it for us to take a second look. Yeah. And a third look. Yeah. Maybe and a fourth look too. Maybe a fifth. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Don't stop there. Just keep going. So that is the Exodus. Yeah. In a nutshell, that's the Exodus. Jesus references it a lot. Paul references it a lot. There's a lot of callback to the Exodus. Um, and so it's an important story for us to know. So don't cut it short. I think that one of the things that we have to understand is that the Exodus is a lot more personal than we make it a lot of times. Yes. Exodus is not just about a nation leaving Egypt. It's also about us leaving what we know behind to step into the promised land of what God is taking us to what it means to follow Jesus. Correct. Yeah. It's very difficult to leave Egypt. In fact, we're going to talk in, probably not as much in Leviticus, but more in Numbers and Deuteronomy, the Israelites really struggle to leave Egypt behind. Yeah, they do. 
and uh, we need to have patience with them because so do we metaphorically Egypt, but God, as the song says, he steps into my Egypt and leads me out. Yep. So good. So this one's going to be a little bit shorter for you guys. We were getting a little long in the tooth in the past, but we just wanted to really like uh, emphasize it's really important that we understand this context. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us today. We're super glad that you're here. Send us questions and comments if you have them. We want to hear from you. If you have lengthy responses on what we've gotten wrong, you can send us that too. We might not respond to that, but we will examine it. And if we did get something wrong, we will address that. But we I have been known to say things wrong. Yeah, me too. We also have our podcast in lots of places now. So you can find us on Spotify and Apple like normal. You can find us on Amazon Music. You can find us on Pandora, I believe, now, too. Yeah. And there's podcast notes and one other one, too. Yeah, a few other. There's actually a big old list of them that they go through. Yeah. Amazon, Apple, and Spotify are the big ones. Yeah. And also, if you are a visual listener or somebody who likes YouTube, we're actually exporting it now to our Mm -hmm. At Love and Context YouTube page. Yeah. So you can find us in all of those locations. If you want to email us, loveandcontext at gmail.com. As always, that's how you'll email us. Or you can message us on Instagram or Facebook as well. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we hope that you got something out of it. If you have any questions, please contact us at loveandcontext at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and message us through there. And Instagram is loveandcontext. Again, lovingcontext at gmail.com or Instagram are the two ways to get a hold of us if you would like. Thank you once again. We really appreciate you being here. God bless. Side note, as you were talking about like the Ark of the Covenant and how they put manna from heaven in there, my brain went to, okay, that must have reeked when Indiana Jones had that opened. Oh, yeah. The Raiders (laughs) of the Lost Ark. (laughs) Sorry. That is historically accurate. Uh-huh. Harrison uh-huh. Ford uh, is replaying a historical character called Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. This is way much better. So much better. Yeah, I'm going to edit out where you said way much better. This is so much better. Hold on a second. I got to mute that. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to just get random. Ben's laptop's trying to add to the conversation right now. Yeah. God bless. See you next time. Hear us next time. Blah! Okay.